This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. All right, guys, Mr. Adam X here, your host of the Pursuit Podcast. I'm the Auto Collective. I have a mission for anyone listening. I need a good intro. What am I supposed to say? Influencers, it's all like, what's up, guys? How you doing? I just introduced myself. You guys all know who I am at this point. So what is the proper intro for a podcast? When I listen to podcasts, I don't know. I don't know the answer. So I'm asking you, slide into my DMs. Let me know the proper way to do an intro or maybe record an intro and I'll I'll put it on. Who cares? I don't know. Let's have fun with it. Because like, I don't, it's so bizarre to be like, right now I'm recording in my van right now and I'm just, hey, what's up? Mr. Adam X here and I'm going to tell you about the Pursuit Podcast on the Auto Collective. It's bizarre. It's really bizarre. Uh, what else is bizarre? It's snowing 10 inches in April. Uh, Stowe's charging for parking. So anyone on the East Coast who's mad about it, welcome to skiing in Utah. It's what you do. You pay to park. If you want a close spot, you pay to park. You know how you resolve that issue? You ski at different resorts. Uh, There's a magical place down the street from Stowe. They get a ton of snow and the skiing is fantastic. So maybe check out that place. I wouldn't say it's epic or iconic, but it is magic. So check it out. It's not an ad. It's just a fact. What else are we mad about? I don't know. I'm trying not to be mad. I'm trying to be happy about things. It's mud season. I've done a lot of walking. I'll tell you that. Uh, I've got the bike ready. I've put the skis away, but it looks like I might have to pull them out again. Other than that, I don't know. I think uh, I'm excited for spring. I'm excited for summer. I am back on the East Coast, so if anyone's around, let's hang out. Let's ride bikes. Let's go for hikes. Let's ride dirt bikes. Let's climb stuff. Speaking of climbing stuff, my guest this week may have heard of her. Superstar climber, but we'll get into that. Let's talk about my sponsor this week. Fisher Skis. You guys know them. We talk about them. We love them. These episodes are presented by them. The new Ranger 102 is one of the most fun skis, if not the funnest ski that I have been on in years. The Pink Ski Gang is gone. I was never a part of the Pink Ski Gang. I am part of the Celeste Ski Gang. I'm telling you, the new Ranger series, they hit the nail on the head. Uh, Super fun, playful, snappy, powerful. 102 underfoot is a sweet spot for me. And the thing absolutely rips. I cannot wait for next year. I know that seems crazy skiing next year, but I can't wait to get on these skis and put more time on them. I've got some tour laps on the Hannibals. Also, phenomenal ski. I'm telling you, do not sleep on these fishers. Check them out. Go to your local shops. I know the lifts are still spinning. Get a demo. Ski them. They speak for themselves. They are legit. They are fun, fantastic, fantastico, uh, phenomenal ski. My guest this week needs absolutely zero introduction. In 2020, she became the first female and fourth climber ever to free climb El Cap via the Golden Gate in a day. She's a climber, sport climber, skier, hiker, adventurer, all around amazing human being. My guest this week is the one, the only Emily Harrington. Keep it short and sweet. We're going to get right into this episode. I hope you enjoy it. My name is Emily Harrington. I am a professional rock climber. I live in Tahoe City, California. Um, I mainly rock climb, but I also ski a lot. And I'm married to Adrian Ballinger, who is a professional high altitude climber and skier. And yeah, we just live our lives 
traveling the world, skiing and climbing and <laughs> I like having a good time. <laughs> that's part of your bio now. Like, oh, I'm also married to Adrian, yeah. who's a superstar. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. You started, you grew up in Boulder. Mm-hmm. You started indoor climbing. I don't know if there's a different term than that. No, that's exactly that's how you say it. Yeah. Called. But that's like different than your pioneers grew up climbing, right? Yeah. So I was probably among the first or second generation of climbers who grew up in a climbing gym as opposed to being exposed to climbing outdoors. So the previous generations that came before me all, you know, lived in places where they could get outside and climb real cliffs because gyms essentially didn't exist until the 90s. Um, So yeah, that was my path. I started out in an artificial setting and that was my understanding of climbing for the first probably five or so years. Climbing was inside on plastic. Does it prepare your fingers? That's like my weakness. Like I'm a horrible climber in general, (laughs) but I feel like I I go indoor and I'm like, I can boulder, like Mm -hmm. I can hang and have a good time. And then I go meet somebody and I'm like, I can't. Yeah. So I think it, I think it does. I think growing up at the climbing gym is really, it was an advantage for me and for most I mean, kids now who start climbing in the gyms are insanely good Um, because it does. It prepares your body and it strengthens your tendons and your joints and your muscles. Um, And you learn so much about climbing in such a like condensed environment. Um, So, yeah, it's been a huge tool and it's definitely like kind of launched the sport of climbing in so many ways. The progression has been insane in the last few decades. Yeah, they're everywhere now. All over the place. It's exploding. Yeah. Even in Buffalo, we had one yeah. for years, and now we have three within, like, yeah. and they're busy. It's crazy. They're busy. I mean, it's like the whole, if you build it, they will come thing. Like, we have a new gym in Truckee now, and I can't find parking in the parking lot anymore. And you walk in there, and you see all your friends who never, ever thought to go to a climbing gym before now, and now they're like, this is awesome. And you're it's like, like, yeah. the best workout where you don't feel like you're working out. No, it's so fun. It's you go like- there. You can do whatever you want. You can climb on a rope with friends. You can boulder with friends. I actually love bouldering. I love just like being social and hanging out and having fun. I'm going to knock on it. Indoor climbing is intimidating. It is. You think it's intimidating. Maybe not for you because you walk in and everyone's like like whispers. Like people probably just like, holy shit. But like I walk in a 220 pound male who is not lanky and Mm -hmm. like a climber body and like you get looks. Yeah. See, I think we need to change that because I, I, I don't feel that obviously because I essentially grew up in a climbing gym. So it's very much like any climbing gym I walk into feels like I'm, you know, walking into my, into my home. Um, and I have heard that before from like all different kinds of people, like from women or like it's so intimidating. Um, I think that I get intimidated like when I walk into a weight room. You know, I'm kind of yeah, just same. getting into the like, okay, no one's like judging me. I'm okay. I just do my own thing. Um, and so I think it is like a barrier that we need to keep working on because I really do think anyone should be able to walk into a gym and feel welcome. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre. It's like a mini. I mean, climbing's a little cult in its own mm-hmm. and not in a bad way. Cult brings bad terms. But like if you're a climber, you're a climber. And I'm sure the top climbers it's a very small group of humans yeah totally I mean but I think it's like that in any sport right like if I we've been Adrian and I've been trying to learn how to surf and I find it to be so incredibly intimidating like I'm scared of everyone in the water I always think that I'm doing something wrong or I'm going to do something wrong or I'm going to piss someone off or all of these things like I get that I think in most of the sports that I do, like for the longest yeah, time, I was fr- so afraid. Fair, that's true. Yeah, I was so intimidated by like the KT lift line. Like I didn't. Oh, I love the KT. I was lift so line. intimidated to just be in it. Um, and now, you know, it's fine because I feel like it's a part of who I am. Do you feel because you're such a superstar in one sport that you have pressure to be like great at other sports? No. I love that answer. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't feel that way at all. I have um, no pressure with pretty much all the other sports that I do, which is really good. I think it's helped me a lot. It's beneficial to kind of have things that you're passionate about that are not your profession. Um, I think mentally and physically, it's actually a much more balanced way to be. Yeah, I love like Honnold did the 50 Project with Cody. Yeah, I saw that. 
I'm a better skier than Alex Honnold. I will put that on the record. Yeah, he's so, he's not a great skier. <laughs> but it was so refreshing to see. Yeah, it's awesome. He's And he's one of those people that's like very comfortable with who he is and can just kind of like put himself out there and do whatever in any environment. I think you it know? only helped him for me. At least, not like I ever, I mean, I always, he's on a pedestal in general, but like that humanized him so much more mm-hmm. to me. And it didn't discredit him. It was like, oh yeah, we're all humans and we learn and like, yeah, Take, like, and we're all bad at things. Oh, bad yeah. at different things. Some are just Good way at worse things. at a lot more things. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, that was like my favorite clip of him just struggling down and like people taking pictures and him being like, "Oh, please don't take a video of me <laughs> <laughs> bad at this." Uh, five-time national sport climbing champion. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to anybody else? What is sport climbing? Uh, so sport climbing is essentially climbing one rope length up a wall or a cliff or whatever it may be. And the protection is pre-placed. It's bolts. Um, so you just clip into quick draws uh, along the way. It's a very safe form of climbing. It is um, very much it's, – it's very much like – it's essentially like climbing the climbing gym. You know, where you're climbing up and you're clipping in and the challenge comes in the the physical gymnastic challenge of the holds being small or the moves being big or the the wall being steep. And um, the competitions are essentially done on artificial walls. They set the route. You get six minutes to go out and and look at it and try to figure out what you're going to do. And then you go into an isolation zone and you come out one at a time and everyone gets one try and whoever gets the highest wins. I did not know any of that. (laughs) Is that like... So you, you don't get to practice? No. Sport climbing, you don't get to practice. Actually, um, yeah. None of the competitions you get to practice before you go out. Like bouldering, you get like the two, the four minutes to try the problem, but you've never tried it before. But you get that chunk of time to try it. That's how bouldering competitions work. Sport climbing, yeah. You just get one try. That's it. Boom, you're done. Um, so it's all about like can you solve a problem uh, on the fly? Is there a trick to that? Just practice. <laughs> I mean, you just practice on sighting. On sighting is what we call it when you try something and you only get one try. Um, yeah, going into the gym, trying to do things on your first try, having some time pressure. That's insane. How did? At what point did you know you were good at this sport? Like, was there a moment where you're like, I can do this for a living? I can make a career out of this? Um, well, I knew I was good kind of right away when I did it. Uh, I grew up ski racing actually, and I was never like that good, but I was super competitive and I was always like really wanting to win and I never could. And then I started climbing and immediately I took to it. And I just, I remember the feeling even when I was 10, just being like, Oh, this is for me. This is what I want to do. Um, so right away I was quite good and I was doing really well in competitions and I was like climbing with the kids that are older than me and the, the boys and stuff like that. And then I think, I was able to turn it into a career when I started like competing on the international stage, like on the international level, doing World Cups and making finals and placing on the podium. And I started thinking about it becoming a career when I was around 20 years old. I graduated from the University of Colorado and the North Face approached me um, to be a member of their global athlete team. And at the time, that was really the only athlete team that you could join as a climber and then start to actually make a living as a climber. What was your backup plan? Like, what did you go to school um, for? I went to school for international affairs, uh, so, like, international politics. And then I, when I graduated, I was studying for the LSAT. So I wanted to go to law school. And I was thinking about going into humanitarian law or environmental law or something like that. I didn't really know. I was like, I'll go to law school and I'll figure it out. I'll be a lawyer. (laughs) And that's when I joined the North Face team. And I was like, okay, well, I'll wait to go to law school. And then I just have never done that. Yeah. And you're still with North Face, right? (laughs) Yeah. Longest standing sponsor. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's awesome. That's a 15 year career. Yeah. It's it's been really cool. And the North Face is great because that's kind of how, it's kind of their model um, a lot of those athletes like Conrad Anker and Hillary Nelson have been on the team for like forever, for decades, and they're still crushing it and out doing things. And I think I have 
especially that team and that brand to thank for like my evolution as a climber. Cause when I first started, I was out with them. I was just a competition climber and sport climber climbed outside single pitch stuff. And then, um, I, the North face does a lot with their athlete team. Like they bring us all together a lot and we do all these trips that kind of like cross over and they kind of, um, you know, enable you to do things that you might not otherwise do. Like if I hadn't joined the North face team, I would have never, climbed big mountains I probably would have never gotten into the all the different disciplines that I'm into now um and it's thanks to like people like Hillary and Conrad who invited me on expeditions and kind of exposed me to all these different disciplines in climbing um that's the reason I'm the climber that I am today so how did you make the transition from sport climbing to like I don't know what you even call it excuse my ignorance but like big wall yeah big wall free climbing um I just kind of just what I said. I started out being really quite talented sport climber and competition climber. And then I started getting invited on other trips. I started dabbling in things like ice climbing and um, going to the Uri Ice Festival in Colorado. And then Conrad invited me to go to the Kumbu Climbing Center in Nepal one season, which is a, a school to train uh, high altitude workers, so mainly Sherpa people, to have the necessary skills to be safe in the big mountains when they're working. Um, so I went there and like bolted a couple routes for the school and taught taught Sherpa how to rock climb. And um, then Conrad invited me to Mount Everest, and I climbed Mount Everest in 2012, which is where I met Adrian. And then I had sort of like this. Um, full spectrum idea of what climbing was it's like climb in the gym you can boulder you can do all these things but you could also do things like climb mount everest and ice climb that's like climbing there's a lot in between um i moved to california i started climbing on granite and just started thinking about how i could continue to be to do things in climbing that inspired me but also help me stay relevant if that makes sense. Like I didn't, I didn't want to do competitions anymore. I also wasn't that good at them anymore comparatively. Um, I didn't necessarily want to keep like climbing huge, massive mountains. I didn't want to like completely transition into that because I still love rock climbing. I love training for rock climbing. I love pushing myself at it. I love the technical challenges that it presents. And so this sort of perfect medium between like the adventure and the suffering of climbing the mountains and then the technical training difficulty aspect of climbing, that media happy medium is big wall free climbing. So you're climbing these big, massive walls. Um, it's super challenging. It's super physical, but you're, you know, you're up there having an adventure in the vertical world. And so it was this really cool combination of everything that I loved. And that, I guess that's sort of how I got into it. Um, and yeah, ever since then. I love the term vertical world. Is that like a common term? Yeah. You're living in the vertical world. That's what you're doing. I mean, I know it's kind of, isn't it a movie called Vertical World? Maybe? No, Vertical Limit. Never mind. I don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) People use it a lot. Yeah. It's such a, like a bizarre term, but you live on the wall. Yeah. You're living on the wall. Yeah. It's a weird thing. You sleep on the wall tethered? Yeah. You're tied in mostly. I mean... Uh, what I do is I usually like t- take off my leg loops. So you just have like the waist thing on your waist belt and then you stay tied in, obviously. How is that transition from like you being a, I mean, I, we just talked about transition, but like being a sport climber is a lot different than like living on the wall. Were you like, I'm made for this or was it like, like even heights? So you weren't dealing with the um, heights you were dealing with at sport climbing. Right. And that's a, yeah, that's actually a really good point. It's a, it's a different thing entirely. It's intimidating, especially just being a sport climber and being used to being only like a hundred feet off the ground or whatever, being thousands of feet off the ground is a totally different mental space. And it's really intimidating and it's, um, really distracting and it's hard to keep your focus and focus on the climbing. And I found that really difficult at first. I, I spent a lot of time being scared and being like, kind of questioning if it was for me kind of I would say like half in half out in a way um I remember I would like drive down to Yosemite and and climb for a day or two and then be like ugh, I'm scared I I don't want to like I'm mentally fried and I'd come home and then I'd kind of psych myself back up and go back down and climb a little bit more but I was never like climbing at my limit I was always really nervous it was always really exhausting and just a hard mental process um but like once you if you 
I essentially just stuck with it. And then once you break through and you start learning how to um, accept the exposure and kind of like work with that fear and that intensity, (laughs) it's pretty powerful because you're like, oh, wow, I'm actually like trying hard and climbing well 2,000 feet off the ground. That's rad. Is it safe? It's totally safe. It's totally safe. I mean... Safe is a loose term. Yeah, that's a... um, It's a a tricky question because like it is... You can make it as safe as you want it to be. It can be totally 100%, not 100%, obviously, but it can be incredibly safe, like almost as safe as being in the climbing gym, provided you place a lot of gear and you go really slowly and you bring everything you need and you have all of the experience. It can be just a vertical camping trip that's safe and fun, but also heavy and slow. Um, and so like for me, when I wanted to free climb El Cap in a day, you end up like having to, to pare down and kind of like cut corners in order to be faster and more efficient. Um, and then it becomes less safe. So let's talk about it because you brought it up. You went gold via the Golden Gate route, which is a harder route, correct? Than like what would normally. Um, yeah. So there's like 15 or so free routes on El Cap. Golden Gate's not the hardest. The Don Wall is the hardest, um, but it's also not the easiest. The free rider is What's, the easiest. I was gonna say that's like that's the, the one that Alex one. free soloed, right? Um, and that's like kind of the entry route into like free climbing on El Cap. It's still very hard. It's 513. Yeah, nothing's and, um, easy. There. Yeah. Golden Gate is also 513, and it's definitely on the easier end of, all, of the free routes on El Cap. Um, the thing that makes it different from the free rider is there's, like, more hard climbing. Like, it's more, like, um, it's more stacked, I guess you could okay. say. Like That makes sense. It's it's harder in more places, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I think that makes sense. Free, free soloing versus free climbing. Yeah. Are totally different things. People get really confused. So free cl- free climbing and free soloing are different in that free soloing you don't use a rope. It's like it's like what you'd imagine. You walk up to up th- you walk up to something, you start climbing it, you don't have a rope. If you fall, you die, most likely. Um, free climbing is you're climbing, same thing, using your hands and feet to ascend, but you have a rope and protection in case of a fall. So uh, you know, free soloing is free climbing. But free climbing is not free soloing, if that makes sense. There's like an umbrella term. It's very confusing, yes. free, like the word free comes from using just your hands and feet. Because there's another form of climbing called aid climbing, in which case you use like, uh, you you put things on the rock, you hook, you pull on, yeah, you use cams, cams, anything you can think of. Aid climbing is like, you know, putting cams in the the cracks and pulling on the cam, Um, clipping a bolt and pulling on the quick draw that's aid climbing so there's aid climbing and there's free climbing and that's the diff- that's those are the two umbrellas okay so a lot that of people helps. yeah so a lot of people aid climb el cap like that's the, the majority of people aid climb el cap is they, that frowned upon no it's not frowned upon it's just different it's just a different thing entirely and like it's awesome and it's adventurous and it's cool um, it's also, it can be very slow because aid climbing is you like, carry it's its own equipment. art. You have to tear, you have to carry so much stuff with you. Um, you're very rare. Like you're, it's so heavy that you can like, you really can't free climb very much. Um, so you're, you're moving like very short distances over a very long period of time, but it takes a lot of skill. It's like a very, like it's, it's, an, it's its own art. I'm not a very good aid climber, honestly. Um, and then free climbing is much more free. Like you're just using your hands and feet to ascend and it's awesome. Um, is aid climbing easier or it's just like, it's a whole different art. It's, it's, it's a different thing. Like I can't say, yes, it's easier in that you don't have to like pull really hard moves, but hard aid climbing can be like very scary. Um, because you're like hooking on these tiny little edges and like trying to move between blank spaces of wall, um, and figure out like what to place and how to ascend with a lot of gear and a lot of stuff. And, um, honestly, it's not something I'm very familiar with. Um, I aid climb like, you know, when I'm just trying to like work a free section of a route, basically. Is this, excuse my ignorance on this, but like, I feel like people listen, like, this is like what I don't, I don't know. We get to hear like what the difference yeah, is. People but don't know. Is this like a, like when you get into climbing, do you like go left or right? Like you're going to be a free climber. You're going to be an aid climber. Is it who like who your, your heroes are that kind of like, you know, you you take like an apprenticeship. Yeah. Like- I, I don't know. I don't, under, I don't quite 
know, I think free climbing is obviously becoming more popular because of climbing gyms, like climbing, climbing in the climbing gym. You're all, everyone's free climbing. That's what it is. Um, the Olympics, it's all free climbing. Um, aid climbing is like more of a historic part of the sport. Like the first people to climb El Cap, aid climbed it. Um, and there was a lot of backlash on that, right? I think so. Yeah, like I think like there's a lot not of not the th- purest form. Yeah, like back in the day, there was a lot of drama around like what's pure and what's not, and there still is in every sport, obviously. And oh yeah, I mean, people didn't want parabolic skis. Yeah, like and like placing bolts and all these things. It's all there's all there's always been drama around that. Um, so I people still do aid climb. Um, it's like something that I'm learning how to do like later in my, you know, I've, I've like just kind of started learning how to, to truly aid climb. Um, and I think that it's, I don't want to say it's like a dying thing. I just don't think as many people who are exposed to climbing in like a climbing gym understand what it is. Um, so it's not as accessible as free climbing now because you know, you don't learn how to aid climb in the climbing gym. (laughs) And it's probably way more expensive. Like our, I mean, climbing is I don't know if it's climbing expensive. I mean, you need a pair of shoes and then you need like ropes and yeah. I mean, if you're just starting out climbing in a climbing gym, I don't think it's that expensive as compared to like skiing or something like that, which is why I think climbing should be a very accessible sport for everyone. Um, yeah, climbing, you need a lot of stuff and you need like a lot of experience and understanding of, of how to do it. And I honestly think a lot of people aren't as interested in it because it's not what you'd imagine, you know, it's not what you'd imagine climbing yeah, is. Yeah, it's a lot of things. Yeah. Like, cams that, blow my mind. But if you think about it, like, back in the old days, that was how people got up things. They were like, they looked at a wall, and they were like, oh, we're going to use all this gear to get to the top. Um, free climbing came along later. But now free climbing is is kind of what's understood in the, in the mainstream. So what are you tying to when you're free climbing? Like, are you still tying to, like, bolts in the wall, or? We have a rope. So you cut, you're tied to a rope. That's right, the only thing you're tied to. Right, but what's the rope to. tied to? The rope is clipped in to protection along the way. So okay, so that's all set. Uh, sometimes you either you either clip onto a, you clip a, a carabiner onto a bolt and then you clip the rope into that and you climb, or you place a cam and you clip the rope into that, um, or you place a nut and you clip into that, um, piton, whatever. Yeah, so you're clipping the rope into things and ascending. And that's just it's, in case you fall. Yeah, it seems very... So you're still using stuff, but climbing-wise, you're only using your hands and yeah, feet. Yeah, you're, you're just... using stuff for protection only. Yeah, you're just avoiding death. <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. So you you attempted to do this climb in a day, El Cap in a day, and you, you failed the first time. And I you failed bad, the first three times. Whoa. <laughs> I did not know that. But you had a bad crash Yeah, one I had an times. accident one time, yeah. Um, I fell, I, well, I was doing something called simul climbing, which is where I was tied onto one end of the rope and Alex Honnold was actually tied on into the other end of the rope. And in order to be faster, this is where the element of risk comes in. We were, um, moving up the wall simultaneously. So instead of him just belaying me and then me stopping and bringing him up and then we continue like that, it's quite slow. Um, I was climbing and placing gear along the way and he was climbing at the same time and taking the gear out. And then when I run out of gear, I'd stop and meet him, and then he'd give me the gear, and then we'd keep going. The thing is, when you do that, you only have so much gear, right? So you're placing as little as possible so you can move as far as you ca- as you possibly can. So I was not placing really any gear at all, <laughs> like very few. And uh, I slipped and fell, and I fell like 50 feet or so. So I basically hit a ledge before the rope could catch me. And I got, I got, I had a, I got, I was knocked out. I had a concussion. I had a lot of pain in my back and my neck. Um, but ultimately I was actually okay. <laughs> How far up were you on the Not wall? far. I oh, was so on the like, first pitch. So it was pure, just oversight, excited. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was less excited and more like forcing it I was it was my second time trying that season um up until that point it had been really warm the whole the whole season and uh that morning it was really cold you start really early in the morning when you climb on El Cap in a day because yeah, you want a 21 hour day yeah and you want to like well. you want to reach like certain points of the route uh in the shade um because the wall goes into the sun and then it gets too hot and all this stuff so I started really early 
Um, I, would, I didn't really like register that it was super cold. My feet were really numb. Um, and I, yeah, I was like, I think I was kind of mentally over it that season. It was end of November. I was just like, oh, I just want to get this over with. It was not the right mindset to be in. And I slipped and fell. Do I was moving it? super fast. Is it pressure from sponsors or just your own pressure? No, absolutely not. I was like so dedicated to this project and the try before I had come really close to doing it. And I think that was kind of this aha moment where I like up until that point, I had this goal. I didn't know if it was possible. It was kind of fun to work towards it and kind of experiment and figure out what works and what doesn't. And then when I came close to doing it, that's when it gets a little bit scary because you realize you're actually capable and then you start to want to do it even more. Like once you realize you can actually do something, a lot of times I set goals that I don't know if I can actually do them. And it's kind of like no pressure because you're like, oh, I'm just going to work towards this thing. And like if it happens, it happens. And you kind of almost don't believe you can do it. But at that point, I had had this try where I basically got, I had 15 feet of hard climbing left to go. And then I would have been successful and I failed. I just couldn't keep climbing. And that was two weeks prior to this like, attempt where I got hurt and so I went back into this like okay I just have to do it now like I have to get it over with and it was like that idea of focusing on the outcome as opposed to like what I still actually had to do um all I wanted to do was just do it and be done with it and I think that was a bad I think that was the wrong mindset to be in yeah but it's it's realistic which is refreshing to hear it's a human thing to do right like to focus on the outcome and the success as opposed to like the process and rush things and yeah yeah and so there was a lot of there was a lot of like questioning that went on after that I think and ultimately I realized that um I had made a series of decisions it was like those human factor decisions that went into like me having an accident and I needed to reassess my motivations and why I was doing it and all these things and how to prevent that in the future so then when do you do the successful attempt is it a year later a whole year later later because of covid Okay, so a year later, you go, I think it's election day. Yeah. Is that intentional? It wasn't intentional, like, you know, when you, but halfway, I think, you don't, like, the way you plan an El Cap in a Day ascent is, like, you're looking for a weather day, basically. So I wanted it to be, like, not too cold, not too hot, no, like, rain in the forecast, all that. And it just so happened to be on, what was it, November 4th. So I think the election had happened, like, the day before. Um, so we and it like was like everyone was waiting. It was like all this tension and stuff. Uh, but it was kind of nice because I just yeah, went off amazing. and did my thing. Didn't look at my phone. <laughs> Although Alex was there. Alex was belaying me and he was like scrolling Twitter the whole time while he was belaying me. <laughs> Which I think is fun for people to hear. Like. Yeah. He was totally like scrolling through Twitter, like just kind of like trying to figure out what was going on. And I was like, don't tell me. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> How do you stay? So it's a tw- it's. On a good day, it's an almost 22-hour day. Yeah, yeah. It can be anywhere from like 16 to whatever. But if things go well, you're still in it for a huge amount of time. Yeah, you're in for a big day, for sure. How do you prepare for that? Like, what are you eating? Do you How do you bring enough to... I mean, it was really strategic, right? Like, we had... um, I had, let's see, I had a lot of strategy going into that attempt because I, because I'd learned so much from the previous ones. Um, so I had like water stashed at certain places cause I'd been up there practicing and stashing water and stuff like that. Um, and then I had like, uh, Adrian, Alex wasn't my partner for the whole time. Like he belayed me for the first, um, 2000 feet. And then basically Adrian repelled in from the top. And so he brought like a resupply of, of snacks and food and things. And then, um, our filmer was there and he had an assistant who brought some snacks and things for them so that they could have enough food and stuff. Cause it wasn't just me on the wall, obviously there's like a lot of other people. And so there was a lot of strategy involved. And then Alex carried a backpack with a bunch of snacks and stuff. Um, and what you eat is basically just like what you eat. I mean, I'd equate it to like an ultra run, right? Like you're just trying to constantly taking care fuel of yourself like every hour or two and um drink water like every hour or two like no meals or anything like that just kind of like snacks and things do you have a go-to snack i had a mix of like nuts and things that i liked eating um like nuts and crackers and cookies and stuff um and then also another thing that i what happens to me a lot of times up there is i get really crampy like my hands cramp because i and because of 
lack of sodium. You know, you're, you're constantly worried about drinking water, but a lot of times you don't think about salt. Um, so I actually brought Cheetos with me and I ate Cheetos. <laughs> Those are good. I think I love that because I think when people first get into like anything outdoors, they like, even if it's like going for a two mile hike, mm-hmm. they like go to the store and buy like the most expensive, weirdest, hundred like, goo blocks or like, <laughs> yeah. like maple, whatever. Yeah, but just break, just buy some gummy bears, like. But just like, <laughs> I think people forget that like you just need energy, yeah. and like sure, there's like good energy sometimes yeah. too for full day ascents. But like, you also need like mental energy. Yeah, like, I always have like a like Jolly Ranchers when I go yeah. for oh, yeah. long days because like, gummy bears. It just helps my mental sometimes. Yeah, it things nothing, that make you happy. Yeah, but it's fun to hear like Cheetos. My buddy did the. PCT and he was like, dude, I just anytime I hit like a town, I just craved like a Mountain Dew and a payday. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like, yeah, the, it's like a, it's the same, yeah, it's the same like climbing the big in the big mountains like in the Himalaya. I always um, have like a sleeve of sleeve of Pringles. Yeah, something that Pringles like, are so good, like they just taste so good when nothing else does. And it's and that's all that matters. Is that's like it. it's some salt. What you, you can need. get down. It's what you know you can stomach. Like you're not yeah. like putting some new. No. energy bar into your system yeah. that you've never had and you're like in the middle of nowhere. And, yeah. But I think it is funny when like you hear top tier athletes like, oh, I just had, I ate Cheetos. Yeah. Like, I needed. I mean, it's one day, right? Like I've eat, I eat well like the rest of the time, but then on that one day you just need something that's like, you're going to be able to stomach. Nothing complicated. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, and I, I, I'd like to attest a lot of it to just mental. Like, yeah. You pull out a bag of Cheetos when you're like suffering and you're yeah. like, I'm okay. Yeah. Like, this is pretty Makes okay. Me happy. This is good. So you do it. The world goes crazy. Yeah. That was a surprise. <laughs> you didn't think people would care? Well, I just, yeah, I didn't really think people would care that much. I, I think it was like this weird perfect storm of like the election results and like this time moment in time with with women and um, kind of the popularity of climbing uh, on the up on the uprise with like the Dawn Wall and Free Solo and the Olympics and all of these things. It was just like this perfect storm of of people kind of craving some some good and you know pandemic stuff people wanted good news and all of this and so it just created this like story that people really latched on to which was interesting <laughs> yeah so you're the you were the first female to do l cap in a day via the golden, golden gate. gate yeah yeah and that was it kind of spread falsely right like it yeah. was like it yeah, ended they, up being first female to climb l cap in a day which is insane because and yeah yeah, which is insane because Lynn Hill was the first person to free climb El Cap in a day, and she did it in 1994. <laughs> but like, how do you like? So you you go instantly viral. You're like the most talked about thing in the outdoor industry, and and I mean more than the outdoor industry, which is even crazier when it starts making like that, yeah. that bigger impact. But it's fa- not false. But like, well, how did false. you? Right. But like, you did have an accomplishment, and it yeah. was like so the credit was due, but it was like the wrong credit. So how do you? How did you deal with that? Like, are you just going to PR? I was like really like- sad about it. Um, yeah, I went to I went to PR and I wrote everyone I could think of and was like, "This is wrong." I corrected it on my Instagram. Obviously, I wrote Lynn and was like, "I'm so sorry." And she was like, "Dude, I don't care." <laughs> she was like, "They always get it wrong." Good job. <laughs> um, like, congrats, you did. You know, psyched for you. But um, yeah, it's it was kind of mortifying honestly like I was really embarrassed and I was like really upset and sad about like what my peers would think and like what my core community would think because that was not my intention obviously um and ultimately I think I you know I think it got righted um and now I'm just like really careful about it (laughs) whenever I you know whenever people want to talk about it I always have to make sure um yeah so it was it was hard but we got through it (laughs) it was a lesson it's it's like a how did it happen? Like, do you know? I mean, you don't have to get anyone in trouble. You don't have, but like, um, was it an exact like? It went to the like Associated Press, and I think like they were given the correct wording, and then I think with the news cycle, things happened so fast that like, I, I don't know if I don't know who it was specifically, but they essentially shortened it and put it out to. They just clipped the headline. Yeah, put it out to everywhere else. And everywhere else, everyone else latched onto it. And so that was where it originated. Um, and that's why it spread so virally was because it went out to, 
you know, all these other news outlets as that one sentence, like just shortened. Um, yeah, it's like because people don't case, think about case. it. People don't think about like, oh, we need to really qualify this and, and say it exactly in these words. They're like, oh, let's just shorten this and then put it out. Right. If I didn't do research on this, I mean, yeah. I know there's different roots. Roots? Yeah. Yeah. Roots? roots. I think that's the right term. But like, I don't know that, sure, some are harder than others, but I guess I didn't know that it mattered as yeah. much as it does. And it, matters but it makes sense. A like, lot. if you can walk up the backside of yeah. whatever El Cap and get to the top, you didn't climb El Cap. Yeah. Like, you got there and you. Yeah. It matters a lot. Um, <laughs> and just like in any sport, like, the details matter. They matter to us. Like, Deeply. And yeah, you pick that route with intent, yeah. knowing that no female has ever done it, and yeah. knowing that like you could, or you thought you could do it, and challenge yourself. And yeah. Like, so what's next? Um, I really want to climb more routes on El Cap. That is definitely a dream of mine. I have like you know an entire lifetime of of climbing left to do up there. I would love to climb on the nose, which is actually the route that Lynn Hill freed in a day. Um, so I'd love to try that. I would love to travel to other parts of the world finally um, and go climbing. I'm actually going to Baffin Island in April to go skiing, which is really exciting. I'm going on a ski expedition. Um, is that normal for you? Uh, I, I mean, mean, you're a skier. I ski a lot, but I have not. Yeah, I mean, I've skied. I've been on a couple of ski expeditions. Like with Adrian, uh, we climbed and skied Choyu, the sixth tallest peak in the world, um, in 2016. But I haven't really been on like an official ski expedition, um, not with Adrian. Like normally it's just our own objectives. So this is really exciting for me. I'm super psyched. I'm and what are you going to ski? We're going to go try a bunch, ski a bunch of couloirs in Baffin Island. Have they been skied or no? I think some of them have, and I think some of them haven't. It's not actually my trip. Um, I think I was just invited on it. So I think we're just going to have to kind of see what the conditions are like and feel it out. Um, but hopefully (laughs) (laughs) you're at a point in your career where you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do. Yeah, I, I think so. I definitely can pick and choose what I want to do. Um, and there's definitely things that are like at the top of my list and then things that are kind of progressively down and just kind of just kind of depends on Adrian and I schedule and what works and yeah where our priorities are at the time which is exciting yeah we don't it's been a it's been a a learning process to like not say yes to everything yeah how do you deal how do you deal with that like you went from being and your career again has been a strong 15 years, but it's just like progressing and progress. Like now you're a superstar. Like you go places and people know who you are. I mean, not really, but like, but you are like, <laughs> you, like you say that cause you're humble, but like you're Emily Harrington. Like people, yeah. like you're on, they cover good morning. Mean, we talked about it before we started good recording. America, yeah. Good morning. America covered your wedding. Like mm-hmm. you're, if you do classic. something stupid, TMZ will cover it. Like you're, <laughs> but like you're at that level and yeah. you know, but how do you, it's refreshing. Like you guys just let me into your home and like record a podcast, like you're humans and that's the greatest thing on the planet. But like, how do you manage that? Like, how do you, is it weird for you to be like a role model? I mean, no, I think I've, I've felt like somewhat of a role model for a long time now with my climbing, um, you know, and, and trying to be a good role model for climbing and an ambassador for the sport. And, um, make sure people, you know, people like you know that it's like, we really want it to be like this welcoming sport for everyone. And we want everyone to, to, you know, be able to explore it and experience it. So I've felt like a role model like that for a while now. Um, I think, you know, I think for me, it's, it's tricky just kind of like knowing where to go next as like a female athlete who wants a family someday, you know, it's like, it's, um, it's like this next phase of my career that's a little bit confusing and a little bit hard to see a, a path because I don't think there's been that many women before me who've taken that path, like continued to like had a family and continued to perform at a high level and push themselves and balance it all and prioritize it. And so that's definitely something Adrian and I are talking about a lot is like, how do we do this and also like have a kid hopefully like in the, you know, not so far away future. Um, 
and I'm honestly like I'm looking for role models for that so I feel like I'm in the middle like I'm a role model for all these like young female climbers probably but I'm kind of in this place where I'm like oh, who do I look to who do I <laughs> who can help me <laughs> yeah it's and it's totally different for a female like you have to like your body's going to go through massive changes yeah carrying a child which is amazing but like your body is also your it's like what you how you make your living it's your tool yeah like it's, and I think there's a, an opportunity there like I think that there's a I mean now that you know now that I'm in it and I read a lot about it and I try to like expose myself to that there are a lot of women out there who've like been super badass and like continued to push themselves and continue it's just like not as common obviously and it's something that's not as well not as talked about do you feel pressure being in a male dominated sport pressure to like do well or I mean just to like you know it's funny I don't really think of it as male dominated anymore because I just feel like there's so many like I don't know. Climbing's so complicated. It's just such a, um, of course it's male dominated, but I don't think it's as male dominated as most sports, you know, like Lynn Hill, case in point. When I first started climbing, she was one of the first climbers I heard about. And she did one of the most groundbreaking things in climbing's history in 1994. Like for me, climbing has always been a space for women because of things like that. My climbing coach was a female. A lot of my role models in climbing have been female. Um, there's a lot of female climbers who've done things that, like, you know, Beth Rodden climbed a route that literally took 12 years for someone to repeat. Um, it is a sport that is, like, very much um, can cater to women in a lot of ways just because it's so much – it's so based on flexibility and body awareness and all of these things in addition to just pure strength. Um so I don't really see it, I guess, as much as a male-dominated sport. I see, like, big wall free climbing maybe as a male-dominated space. Um, but that said, there's plenty of women who are up there crushing on El Cap, and it's rad to see, and it's awesome. Um, so I guess I see, like, I feel a little bit of pressure, but it's, like, the fun kind, you know? <laughs> the fun kind it's of like, pressure. It's, like, fun to be up there, and it's fun to be – um, it's fun to have a voice and to kind of, um, push myself and inspire other women and be inspired by other women. Like it's an exciting time, I think. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're truly starting to see like the media starting to catch on, mm -hmm. which is refreshing, which yeah. has always blown my mind. Like why women don't get the credibility that they deserve yeah. has always been crazy, especially because the world especially media is driven by mm -hmm. it's male driven. It's a bunch of old dude, white dudes mm -hmm. somewhere, but like the world wants to see females crushing. I think like yeah. it blows up way more. It's yeah. And I mean, it's just like, I was just watching, I just watched a snowboard film called learning to drown. Did you watch that one? Not yet. It's, it's really on my good. list. It's awesome. I heard it's, it's really amazing. Good. It's amazing. Um, and her quote in it was, she made that, uh, she made that snowboard film called The Uninvited um, because, like, the girls in the crew were never invited to, like, go shred with the boys or whatever. And her quote was, like, if you don't see people like you, you know, out there crushing, then you don't have anyone to look to and you don't, like, you know, you're not as inspired and maybe you don't push yourself as hard and all of these things. And so it was, like, it was just an interesting point. Um, like, and it, it's true. Like, in all sports, I basically – not by and not consciously, but I mainly only watch like women's skateboarding, women's surfing, women's snowboarding, women's free skiing. Like I just only am interested in that. Like that's what I want to see. I want to hear those stories. And I think a lot of women might feel that way. You know, like I just want to see women crushing because I'm inspired by that. And yeah. I think it's that that's how a lot of people feel. They want to see people who are like them, who look like them out there crushing it. Um, but it does take a couple pioneers in order to pave that way. Yeah. And you're, whether or not you know it, you're one of them. Like there are, there are 12 year old girls that are looking at you that yeah. are probably in 10 years, maybe 20 years going to like crush all of your records. I hope so. Right. But it's like, <laughs> you're, you know, you're setting the new bar, which is like probably wild to think about because yeah, it's, it's cool. you and you're like a humble, like, you're like, oh yeah, it's, that's what you do. But like you're the role model that is on, that is going viral. Yeah. That little girls are looking up to, and you're setting the new bar. 
just like crazy. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, we've just filled 45 minutes. Awesome. I don't want to take too much of your time. You're amazing. Thank uh, you. If you want to thank anybody, you can thank anybody. If you want to thank your sponsors, this is your moment. Where can people follow you and kind of what you have going on next? Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Emily A. Harrington. And I guess TikTok now because, you know, I'm trying. It's life. I'm trying. Emily A. Harrington on TikTok. I've been trying. It's kind of fun. I don't know. It's a little bit of a time suck. Uh, <laughs> sponsors, the North Face. Petzl, La Sportiva, Tin Cup Whiskey, Kodiak Cakes, Texino, and Revel Shine Wines. Actually, Adrian and I are a founder of Revel Shine. So. I did not know that. Yeah. That's amazing. It's a very exciting wine brand. Also, you're sponsored by a pancake company. Which yeah, is like I love them. They're great. The best flex ever. <laughs> That's awesome. I saw you signed with them, and I was like, are you kidding so me? Rad. I'm like cooking pancakes in my van. They're so good. Kodiak Cakes. And so I'm like, awesome. <laughs> they're so good. So good. This yeah. isn't a plug for me. This is like... I mean, it is. Sponsor me Kodiak Cakes, please. But like... So many flavors, too. The dark chocolate ones are like... It's it's all so good. The cinnamon oat. They're all amazing. That's like my favorite. And they've got all the snacks. Yeah, it's all great. They're so Um, good. Yeah. So, oh, next. Well, Adrian and I are actually going to Europe for the first time in two years. We leave February 15th. We're going to Switzerland to go skiing, uh, to train for Baffin Island. And then I'll... I'm actually going to do a little side trip to Spain and go rock climbing because I can't not. You should. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much. Awesome. It's so refreshing when you just have an amazing conversation with an amazing human being. So Emily, thank you so much for being an amazing human being and having a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you for letting me into your home. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Maggie Eshbaugh, if you're listening, thank you for making the connect between Emily and I. Uh, I don't think it would have been as easy as it was and as seamless without your help. So I appreciate that. Everyone listening, thank you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, leave a review. I know that's corny, but that's the easiest way to help your friend. Like their posts. Leave a review on something they're doing. Share their stories. I mean, there's so much you can do that costs little. So follow at Mr. MX. Follow at Out of Collective. We're on Twitter. We're on TikTok. We're everywhere. Follow Emily Harrington. Comment on her post. Tell her fucking good job. We like hearing it. We're human. Even superstars. We like hearing it. Tell us we're doing great. And if you have some feedback, be nice about it. We like to hear the feedback. We want to improve. We want to be better. But be nice. It's nice to be nice. And that's what I've that's what I've got today. It's nice to be nice. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>